0: life together is about giving space to one another to see what god is doing in each of our lives and it means i can't be in control of you i cannot control what you think i cannot control how you respond i cannot control whether or not you agree with me and that is a scary place to go for a lot of people
1: hey podcast listeners Welcome back to the Small Groups in the Wesleyan Way podcast, where we are all about going beyond programs, beyond best practices, and beyond curriculum to recover and learn from our Wesleyan roots and to explore the foundations for small groups that produce disciples of Jesus Christ to, in turn, disciple others. My name is Scott Hughes, and I'm the director of Adult Discipleship here at Discipleship Ministries. I had the opportunity to reconnect again with Scott Boren. Scott is the president and consultant slash coach at the center for community center for community and mission he has written numerous books now um, has a a great blog you can find that at m also as we've mentioned before big texas rangers fan scott's also come out with a new book called beyond small groups from programming from programmatic meetings to flourishing communities what a great title of a book Scott and I had a fantastic conversation. It was not one that I wanted to cut short, and so we've broken this up into into two episodes. I think you'll enjoy that and appreciate, appreciate that as you get time. Um, I do want to point out a few things that we're going to be talking about that you'll want to pay mo- um, particular attention to um, as it comes to the purpose of groups uh, in terms of forming people. We talk a lot about that and about relationship building and trust and the importance of having trust. That'll be something that carries over probably to both episodes the importance of trust and also in this episode we'll talk about three of four common stories when it comes to groups personal involvement lifestyle adjustment and relation relational revision so listen out for those and uh, once we uh, finish this half of the conversation i'll have a few more thoughts and then we'll finish up then so stay, stay tuned Scott, it's great to have you back on the podcast for another turn at this. It's great oh. to have another Scott on the podcast.
0: Hey, Scott and Scott.
1: It's, got, it's actually the M. Scott Hughes and M. Scott Boren that's, podcast that's right cool. now.
0: That's cool. <laughs> I won't ask you your first name if you don't ask me mine. So.
1: Oh, okay. Well, we'll save that for the after show part of this. <laughs> um, when well, you're back now, you have finished your Doctorate of ministry since last we talk, and you've got a new book out called Beyond Small Groups, and I love this book this subtitle, From Programmatic Meetings to Flourishing Communities. And so as we begin to explore some of this book anyway, um, I want you to talk about how we imagine the purpose of groups sometimes today versus what you begin to draw out of the Ezekiel Valley of the Dry Bones Passage. Yeah. So that I'll let us kind of turn it over to you for a minute here.
0: Well, thank you. It's, it's so awesome to be with you and just to share this these ideas and, and, and what God is doing. Um, I think what dr- caused me to move in this direction and uh, to write this book in this way is that I've seen so many pastors and so many people who are overseeing group ministries or teams of people who are overseeing group ministries who are so focused on the bones of getting the structure right.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And they're so trying to, what's the right curriculum, and how often do they meet, and how do we organize this? And oh, you go yeah. online in chat rooms and see this, and they're all questions about the structures and the bones and the how-tos. And all of those are important questions. All yeah. and, and there are really... For 30, 40 years, we've been talking about these strategies and structures and what do you do with the children and what do you do with, what's the leadership training you do and how do we organize the leadership training? All those are very important questions. But what I realized through the years is that the bones don't bring life Mm. to a group. Mm. We can get all the right stuff. And and do all the right things as leaders and as pastors and follow the rules and do it the way the church down the road did it, and it still be like and and not necessarily fail, mm-hmm. but it just lives in the land of mediocrity.
1: Okay. Yeah,
0: that makes sense. And I, I get tired of like, okay, no one wants to come to a meeting every week. Right just <laughs> coming to a meeting. Right. People come to something that's attractive and alluring and fun and, and interesting, but what brings that life to a group? And, and so the, the pressure often falls on the leader to make it happen, and they have these charismatic gifts, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and, or you get the right curriculum, and, or get the right video curriculum, or on and on and on we go about try to fix that, but I'm like, okay, wait a second. What was it that the scriptures talked about that brought life to the mm-hmm. people God in Israel and brought life to the early church and brought life to the ministry of Jesus? It was the movement. It was the, it was both the body and that the way that we're connected, the flesh and the Ezekiel 37 talks about the flesh coming on the bones. Yeah. And this is how we are connected and how we love one another and how we are, how we are, interacting with one another and how we're God is forming us to be a part of the Christ body. And then, but even still, if you only do that, you have bones and you have a body, but it's lying on the ground, right? Only as the breath of God fills up the body of Christ, does the body come to life and I'm, and I'm asking questions. Okay, how do we as pastors and, and or as we're developing groups set up the structures, teach people to love one another, and practice that, but in a way that is dependent upon the Spirit of God? And that's the whole heart of what we're trying to do. And the purpose of this is like if we don't go, if we don't do all three, we're missing something.
1: Yeah. Absolutely, and where I think this lines up very well for for Methodists, right We have our mission statement to uh, make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. I, I like to change the language a little bit and talk about forming disciples. I yep. think that's a little more yep. accurate and and you you talk a lot about uh, practices in yeah. the yeah and one of the analogies you gave and I, and i'll i I'll, I'll, I'll kind of spin a little bit. I mean the analogy you talk about is uh, imagine having basketball players play football
0: yeah
1: Um, and then I told you my experience with uh, my son and in his tennis he ends up playing some kids who uh, are basketball players who end up getting put you know the coach needs players and they put a tennis racket in their hand and watching basketball players try and play tennis is kind of funny it's kind of awkward right because that's not how they've been disciplined formed right Um, so talk a little more about small groups and and the formation that's the goal of
0: of oh sure well i look at it this way. I I think back to the church I grew up in, in North Texas. It was a small rural church in a small town with nobody who lived within, I mean, very few people lived within two miles of the church building. We happened to live within a mile of the church building, and we were always there, and it was built in 1908, and, you know, uh, and uh, then I work with other churches that are in first-ring suburbs and that were that flourished in the 1950s, and um, what made the church work then. And then uh, there are inner-city churches, and 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 then second-tier suburbs that maybe flourished in the 1980s, and they were all built around programs and let's get all you know everything here. And and we're trying to figure out this what it means to be church. In this world where people don 't come to church as much anymore, if they do come to church they 're just looking for a spiritual product right they will come and get entertained but not that we' what does it mean to be the church? Well, what it means to be the church in a, in a, a city where things are in transition and, and we have multi, you know we 're much more interracial and we have people from different countries and all these different things going on in our culture. We have to start asking different kinds of questions about what it means to be the church. But yeah. I grew up in a church that was based up on a set of practices that were and 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 habits of we did church at the church building because okay. we were there three or four times a week. Gotcha. And then basically there all day Sunday, and so and then I was related to half of the church. <laughs> Uh, and so
1: I pastored a church very much like that. Anyway, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> you
0: know, and then I started going to the first, the first church in the city, and it was 300 people. But I went to school with half the kids, and you know, but still, everything still happened at the building. You know, oh, and, yeah. You know, and, and I remember on Wednesday night, um, we are, we were adding on that this was the 1980s when we, you know, it, the big deal was the the gymnasiums and build big mm-hmm. gyms, and it, that was being built. And so our youth group had to meet off campus at this warehouse that was unfinished. And we had like 120 kids in a small town coming on Wednesday night. Wow. But as soon as the church building got finished where the gymnasium was, the senior pastor made us come back to the building. Hmm. Well, it immediately dropped to 50 kids. Oh gosh. You know, and, and, and it was like, okay, it became a church thing. And we, we, because we were, you know, we say, well, how dare that senior pastor do that? And what, but he, we, he was just operating according to his formation.
1: Uh,
0: yeah. He was operating to where th- that, that's where church happens. And we were only at that warehouse bec- out of necessity. That's, and so the, the, the eldership or the, the deacons of the church and the leaders of the church were operating according to the formation of the way church operates. And for a lot of people to think. Well, meeting in my house is that as legitimate as meeting as a Sunday school class on the church campus, or uh, is meeting in a park on a Wednesday night because it's mm. beautiful outside as legitimate as meeting in my home? Mm. You know, and and we or meeting at a coffee shop or or, or what? Well, what we need is we have to think about how we're being formed to be the people of God, mm-hmm. and the Spirit forms us to learn to love one another. And it's not about learning, just re- trying to hold on to the church of the past, which a lot of people do, because we're formed to do the church that we grew up in. Mm. We have to develop right. new habits that will form us to be a church in a different era and in, a, in, a, in different expressions. Does that make sense?
1: It does. And so let's let's transition then to the current day. And and yeah. I want to read a quote from yours in the book on page 22. You say, in Western cultures, people do not merely – need to join a small group that need to be discipled in basic relationship skills to be the body of Christ because we have become addicted to the FedEx way of life. Yes. Wonderful sentence. Tell us more about the FedEx way of life and how we've been discipled in that.
0: (laughs) Well, and, and what this ends up being is we're so busy where our lives are oversaturated. Secular sociologists are telling us this they're writing books have been written on this for the last 60, 70 years. Uh, you know, one book called Bowling Alone. And yep. it, it's a book of, by a, a Harvard sociologist and political theorist who's analyzed American culture and says we don't, we, we don't know how to relate to one another. Uh, another psychologist wrote a book called The, the Saturated Life, and it's mm. just talking about how we are so overcome by all the things that pull upon our lives and we have lots of surface level relationships, but we don't, we have very few connections, right. um, you know, and we spend, uh, I don't know what the data is, but a few years ago, it's like 28 hours per week, uh, screen time. I'm sure oh. it's much higher than that. Now I'd have to do a little bit of research. I need to get my research updated on that. Uh, our screen time is astronomically high. Sure. Uh, and we, so we, we find ourselves, Adding on a friendship here, a friendship in small groups then becomes like, well, it's my it's a meeting I go to.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: These aren't people I'm in relationship with. I just go to a meeting for an hour and a half at somebody's house.
1: And we open the Bible and we say a prayer
0: and and according to the kind of church churches that we grew up with in the 50s or the 90s or whatever, meetings were what church was about. Mm-hmm. And we think, well, that was a church meeting, but we also hung out afterwards for 30 minutes, or we went to Sunday school together and we chatted and we were friends with those people because that's the way life worked, especially if you were in rural areas. Um, uh, But even in, in suburban areas, you know, the church was not just a meeting. It was, there was a life around that. And what now has become is, Because we're so oversaturated, we we kind of well we do our church thing on top of everything else in our lives, and and Mm. then we we squeeze in a Sunday morning, and then pastors are hoping that somebody will get in their small groups during the week, and maybe they'll be discipled. But we can't expect too much of them because they're working sixty hours a week and driving driving around kids to baseball practice and baseball games, and I met tennis, yeah, yeah. tennis. endless activities yeah what were you gonna say Uh, i I I was i was teaching on this this was uh 10 12 years ago at a church in virginia and they said they knew someone in georgia whose son was 10 years old and he was in eight different baseball leagues Whoa! and so all they were doing was driving their kid all over southern georgia and oh southern georgia uh, man there's nothing mississippi and i mean it was all over the southeastern states to be in these eight different baseball leagues and you know, it's like, what is he going to be? A Rod? Uh, a Rod was a big deal back then. Now he's not now. But yeah. yeah.
1: Well, and I, and I should finish my sentence about Southern Georgia. I was going to say, there's nothing's real close. No, <laughs> there's not. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so one of the you talk about four common group stories. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, I resonate with that a lot because the first two, and I'll let you explain the the four of them. I thought, well, that that explains most of the groups I've ever been in. Um, and so I'll let you talk about personal improvement, lifestyle adjustment, and so forth, and those types of groups. Is um, uh, that, I just thought that was fitting for when we talk about this FedEx oversaturated way of life. Um, th- those first two categories of personal improvement and lifestyle adjustment seem to fit, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I can maintain my life, and I can throw on small groups. So, a right, right. little more about personal improvement and lifestyle adjustment types of of stories, groups that. And that sort of explains how they operate.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, and this what this was birthed out of a few years ago, uh, for me was this realization that a lo- uh, churches will adopt different structures to organize their groups, but the structure there was no correlation between the effectiveness of a structure and the life giving nature or the breath and the body that brought life to that structure gotcha so everybody was talking about structures and promoting structures and now even more are being promoted and there's some there's a lot of good ideas out there but what i found is is like you could take any one of those structures and find these four different what i call stories or lived expressions okay of the life of the group so um and we could i could give you illustrations of different structures how they do this but the four stories are these first story is personal improvement and that's basically I'm in this small group because it it improves my life a little bit it's convenient and therefore it's convenient for me it works but as soon as conflict arises I'm probably gonna opt out (laughs) as soon as it becomes uncomfortable or that I don't like to study next semester or uh, I don't like the leader anymore Or a better option comes along, Mm. I'm going to move on to that. Yeah,
1: looking, yeah, looking for the best option.
0: Says this, no one.
1: (laughs) Uh, Some some come close. I I may have had this happen. So go ahead.
0: (laughs) Yeah, but that's it's very consumeristic. uh, That uh, personal improvement. Um, You could you probably could call it personal consumerism, but I was nicer. (laughs) Then the lifestyle adjustment thing is to say. Well, this group is beneficial to my life. So therefore, I'm going to adjust my schedule enough for a meeting Mm. to prioritize the meeting. So in the first one, it's I'm prioritizing myself. Mm. The second one is I'm beginning to prioritize the meeting. It's not necessarily prioritizing the people. I find the meeting worthwhile. So what I found is that most churches, no matter what structure you adopt, and even like if you want to say missional communities or the most radical structures that have been proposed over the last 20 years, they only get as far as lifestyle adjustment. Hmm. And a lot of these are close-the-back-door strategies. You know, just if we could just get 80% of our people into a group then we're successful. Most mm. pa- pastors would be happy with 40 or 50%, and, but sure. they're, they're, all they're worried about is, are we getting people into groups and then therefore in meetings? Right. Now, the other two stories, uh, there are fewer examples of this in America, many examples of this in places like China, South Africa, South, Africa, America, uh, South America, Southeast Asia, and other places – but there are churches in America that have gotten into these other two stories. One. So the third story is called relational revision. And I call it this because this is about a group that wants to learn how to do life together. They recognize we don't know how to do this. Hmm. We need to adopt spiritual practices so that the spirit can shape our habits to live differently. And that's, that's really, it's kind of like a, hey, I'm going to go get a master's degree, if you will, or g- going to get my undergraduate degree or get training to, to run a, a machine in a machine shop, I, the first step is to say, I don't know how to run that machine. Teach me how to run the machine.
1: Yeah, and, and if I can pause there for yeah. a second, um, that ability to, to recognize, I don't know, yeah. and I need help. Um, Americans aren't very good at that. Am I, am I wrong there? we <laughs> sure not. I mean, that, I think that's a crucial step in this process. Is is for adults and groups to say, you know, what we don't we don't know how to do this. We we think we're doing it. We kind of want to do it, right? But the ability to say we need help.
0: Well, and a lot of us we don't want to admit that we are socially inept as yeah. Americans. You go to South Africa or South America or Southeast Asia, um, and just imagine they don't have the option to spend 35 hours of on screen time every, every day Mm. or every week. they don't have the, they don't work 60 hours a week. They take siestas and they eat together. Mm. They're in church with people who are in their community and they, Mm -hmm. they are in one another's houses a lot more and they're not hiding that they don't drive into a house and the, the garage door comes down and we, you see no one for the next eight hours. Um, you know, it's a very different culture. It is, yeah, because they're in each other's lives all the time, and we as Americans and Westerners in general, uh, you know, but we're, we're the worst at it in Amer- in, in the, the fifty states, this part of America, um, that we've lost the art of eating together. I mean, I've worked with people; they don't even know how to eat together. Hmm. Uh, they don't know how to have someone in their home and welcome them in and just greet them and make them feel comfortable. And some of the basic things that are just part of good living. Hmm. Um, and, or even just going and having coffee and, and being, you know, just welcoming people and, and, and asking good questions. You know, it's like the old book, uh, how to win friends and influence people, just hmm. ask, learn to ask some good questions and show interest in someone else. Hmm. Um, we, we've lost yeah. the ability to do that because all we've learned we're learning we're being formed by social media which says the way you win on social media is not to ask questions but to push 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 your agenda mm. your opinion is all that matters and the one who has the loudest opinion and restates the loudest opinion the most wins the day or is the cl- most clever yeah or oh, is most clever yeah yeah well you know, and I- in that and that we have to be we have to recognize we need to learn some new relationship ha- ship habits. Yeah, I think that's
1: a, that's spot on. And uh, and it's probably why when I hear people talk about their small groups and so we're doing life together. Yeah. And I'm like, well that sounds like really good language. Yep. Now, in my mind what I think about is exactly what you were talking about in other countries. Yeah. Because in my mind in America when people talk about we're doing life together is probably not the same thing as what does that make sense that oh totally you know as as western individualized people we don't really do life together well even within our families much less across families
0: oh exactly
1: i mean that's just not something we do so i don't know that's uh, maybe that's a soapbox i I probably shouldn't go on
0: (laughs) no i (laughs) think you're exactly right and i think we have to learn how to you know the the practice of hospitality in the new testament mm. and and how do we enter into one another's lives and, and and invite people into our home or invite you know have an open heart to people and that enters into conversation we don't know how to have conversations that are true conversations because we're so much we're pushing our agenda mm. that's what we assume is conversation and you know life together is about giving space to one another to see what God is doing in one another, each of our lives. Yeah. And that takes time. And trust. What's that? Trust. Takes, what's it, trust? Yeah, and, it, and it means I can't be in control mm. of you. Mm. And in, uh, I, cannot, I cannot control what you think. I cannot control how you respond. I cannot control whether or not you agree with me. Uh, and that is a scary place to go for a lot of people.
1: And a play, and we don't have a lot of models for that right now in our culture. No, I mean, the models in our culture right now are are forming us in the sense of if you disagree, um, you got to push back and you've got to go separate ways. Exactly. Um, as opposed to, uh, I hear what what I hear you saying and what the New Testament says is um, much more. Let's let's focus on loving one another, learning to love one yeah. another, and learning to hear one another, and right. practice hospitality. And then we can get to our opinions <laughs> and recognizing that distinction between opinions and convictions.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm writing. I'm actually blogging about this right now on, on, on some leadership skills for of listening and dialogue. The, the, the role of dialogue in, in, as leaders and the role of, Then di- I'm going to be talking about discernment. What is then as a leader, how we create space for discernment of the spirit in the midst of the dialogue, as opposed to me as a leader needing to be the one in control yeah. who makes it happen. That's a lot of pressure. Yeah, it it, is. It's exhausting. And even as a father, I'm, 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 I'm like, wait a second. My 15 year old can hear God. He has perspectives. He has opinions. And if I'm mature enough mm. to listen to him, but what we've often said is, "I'm the mature one. I'm the old one. I'm the experienced one. He should be listening to me." Well, yeah, I've said those things. <laughs> <laughs> I've said them more than I want to say. As a small group leader, as a pastor, what we often say, "I'm the one who's trained. I'm the no one who knows the Scripture." And then, I'm like, well, if we are more mature and we are more equipped and we do know more, then we shouldn't be threatened by someone who knows less. Mm. But we do just the opposite and saying instead of saying you know i i'm the one with the power here i don't have to hold on to it mm. i
1: can
0: i can let the other person talk because it's not it's not a threat to me mm. i can let his opinions be really bad <laughs> because i don't have to his opinions about whatever issue or even an interpretation of scripture could be really bad now i'm not going to let him or her Take the small group meeting down a path that's not helpful. Yeah, that's a whole different and cause confusion. Dynamic, yeah. Uh, but I, I'm not. I personally am not going to be threatened by someone's bad interpretation of scripture. Whereas mm-hmm. I've always, in the past, I've been around a lot of leaders who had to be right, mm-hmm. and they had to make sure everybody around them knew that they were right. Mm-hmm. And and what we're doing with relational revision is in this story, is we're coming together and saying we're learning together. We're going to trust the Spirit of God hmm. to say this is a, a space where we're going to discover together what God is doing. And this is one of the things I do in my book, Missional Small Groups, is I, I provide practices that groups can uh, begin to adopt, not all of them at the same time, but just you know two or three of them, to, to put them on the journey of relational revision. And I've got a free study guide on my website, um, which is M Scott Um, that, that people can download. It's called cultivating community in the way of Jesus. And it's a free study guide that goes along with the book missional small groups. And I'm getting videos up for it. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm much younger in these videos. I'm still, (laughs) uh, but
1: uh, at least you got all your hair. I mean, that's
0: (laughs) impressive. But then the fourth. Let's transition to the fourth. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, let's transition to to the fourth. I get long-winded here. Um, The fourth story is called missional recreation, and a lot of people freak out about the word missional.
1: Yes, they do. Because it, or just don't understand it and just pretend they do.
0: Yes. Yes. And it, and, and there have been so many misnomers around this, many misinterpretations around this and it's a lot of different perspectives. And I get that some people should be scared of some interpretations.
1: Ah, interesting.
0: um, Because I think they're misguided Mm -hmm. or they're overly idealistic or they're, uh, they're trying to, the word missional is often used to be anti-church or anti-leadership or a lot of these things that aren't necessarily reflective of, of, the heart of the theology of a missional God and the missional church. Um, uh, This is part of my dissertation. So um, uh, that I did for my doctorate, but uh, uh, try to get this, trying to get this published also. Um, Well, actually the dissertation is available. If people really want to read it, it (laughs) it's called, um, it's called uh, the beauty of God's mission. Hmm. Um, But the point being missional recreation is to say this group has been formed not because they've decided to be missional
1: Hmm.
0: it's kind of like i don't decide to play basketball
1: Hmm.
0: i decide to go to the gym and practice and then i'll see if i can play basketball Hmm. i don't decide to play tennis i go to the court i go buy. a a racket i buy some balls mm-hmm. i'm gonna go to the court i'm gonna i decide to wake Sh- up and to show prepare, up to show up yeah and in 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 relational revision we're deciding to show up we're going to show up in all our weakness and all our our goods and bads and strengths and weaknesses and we're going to learn together what god is doing and discerning what god how god is forming us then just just like I, I don't decide to be a good cook I don't decide to be a, you know, uh, I don't decide to be a machinist. Hmm. Uh, I don't decide to be a mathematician. A if you want to be a mathematician, you better get your pencil out. <laughs> yeah. And you, you decide to work math problems. Hmm. You know, Einstein did this. He was like, he didn't decide to come up with E equals MC squared. He decided to work out these mathematical equations and these issues and ask these big questions. And he decided every day to do that. Hmm. I don't decide to be a good husband. I Hmm. decide to wake up every morning and put my wife ahead of me. Hmm. Hmm. And then maybe by God's grace, I'll be a good husband. You know, that's, and what we do in our culture, what we've done is we've got these big, grandiose schemes of big time commitments about being a great man or being a, and then we, being a great leader or being a great church or being missional. That's been the thing is how can you be missional? And it and that becomes this kind of big thing that we're going to decide to do. And I say, no, let's not decide to be missional. Let's let God take care of that. Let's decide to practice these missional relational God-shaped, spirit-driven practices they're going to form us as communities and then in that we're going to wake up to what God's doing in the world. And mm-hmm. we're going to see a neighbor whose husband can't she can't take care of him anymore. Mm-hmm. And the group discovers, how can we come around that neighbor and be a blessing to that neighbor? And for the next 6 months we're going to we're going to be a hospice mm-hmm. to this man who's dying. Gotcha. they're calling for in the next six months. Or there's a, a, a single mom who lives down the street and she's working night shifts and she's got three kids. And the group says, we're going to build a relationship with this mom and we're going to we, see what God's doing there. And, and then you get two, three weeks into it and go, oops, God's not there. Hmm. That's okay. Hmm. We're not going to go fix her and fix her family as if we have the answers and she needs our help. Our job is to listen. Is God in that? Is God in that, and we're going to discover where where the the, the spirit is is moving and leading, uh, and that's what I'm calling missional recreation. And it's there's a play on words here. There's also it's missional recreation. Oh, I wonder. Okay. Yeah. 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 It's it's also meant to say let's have fun doing this. Yeah. Let's discover. Let's play. Let's let the spirit take care of this and move through us. So that we can recreate, it's going it, to, a pastor can't come up with these ideas, in other words. And for mm. some pastors, that's scary. Sure. Because can we trust the people of God to hear the, the Spirit of God? Well, why don't we trust the Spirit of God to speak to the people of God, even in the midst of our mishearing? Mm. Um, mm. And because there have been a lot of leaders in the history of the church who've misheard God, too. So it's not like <laughs> people yeah. of God have got a corner on that market. Right. Um, you know, so missional recreation is this thing of saying, Oh man, this, there's a someone who, you know, they see a lot of migrant workers in in a certain industry and they're trying to come around them and how do they, how do they bless them in a way that's in this tumultuous time. And this isn't a political statement about, uh, uh, whether they should go back to, south of the border where they should stay that's not the point it's like how do we bless these people yeah in the in this midst of a tumultuous time um and 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 love them where they are um or it could be um i mean there's so many different ways that a group can just become aware of what's going on in their world and saying, God, how do we as a community begin to be a blessing together?
1: Right. And so these happen. This, if I hear you right, you're saying this uh, missional um, recreation or recreation. Yeah. Um, happens because of the practices that have formed us to see a certain way. Yes. Yes. I mean, our, our mantra here at Establishment Ministries is see all the people. Yeah. Well, for us to do that, we've got to have the practices in place to begin to to, to be formed such that we're seeing. Yes. Right. And, and so is it that this relational revision begins to help us and and then just somewhat naturally, if we live into that, we begin to live as a, a missional recreation
0: people. Yes, that is, the, that is exactly the case. Way, and if you look at it from this perspective, you could say, okay, the, the, the four Gospels are, are ways, in some ways, uh, examples of relational revision for the disciples, hmm. and the 40 and the 72. Hmm. And then Acts would be an expression of different ways that missional recreation came to life, because none of it was expected. Hmm. nobody expected the church to end up being like it ended up being. No one thought Gentiles would be a, a part of this. Sure. They thought it was going to be a Jewish thing.
1: Yep.
0: And, um, you know, Jesus was, he didn't go into this saying, this is what it's going to look like. Here's the vision. Here's the way, here's the structure. And this was and by by the year 33, or no, it would have been the year 63, there are going to be churches all over Rome and all over Galatia and blah, 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 blah. And this man named Paul is going to start, you know, it was a discovery process. No one could have predicted, I mean, uh, uh humanly predicted what was going to be birthed out of Antioch. I mean, but that it wasn't like, we didn't start with Antioch. It started with the relational revision that led people to the cross, hmm. Hmm. and um, and and that's what we we have, and that requires patience because most of us as leaders, we have to have a lot of patience for people to learn how to follow Jesus differently.
1: Yeah. So you've, I think in some ways you brought us full sur- circle in a sense of we're going beyond programming. Yeah. Right. I mean, programming is not going to get us there. Right. They, they may help. We, we need to think about those things. Yep. But ultimately, what we're driving at is helping people to fall deeper in love with God, yep. deeper in love with other people. Hope you can see why I didn't want to cut the conversation short with Scott. We had a, a great time, and I, I, I appreciate his wisdom. I, you can. You can really hear his passion, not just for small group ministry, but for connecting people with Christ and the healing and salvation that comes uh, through Christ. And so we, we uh, very much appreciate that. Um, there's a few things that I would uh, bring out um, in response to that is the focus on practices. That's something that I'll carry over as well into the next episode. Uh, focusing on relationship and, and helping to be mindful of that, that we need to grow relationally. And learning how to, to do hospitality well, that's the, something we need to learn. And I think that's especially true in, in as he calls it, the FedEx lifestyle. I really appreciate, appreciate that. So hopefully you appreciate this episode. Um, if you've got questions or comments, feel free to reach out to me. Uh, You can find me at Rev. Scott's Tweets, also at UMC Adult Form for adult formation. You can find more information on our website, umcdiscipleship.org. hope you'll reach out and uh, tell me things you're looking forward to, things you're trying, uh, things that are still obstacles you're struggling with in your small group ministry. And so until next time, peace.
0: Small Groups in the Wesleyan Way podcast has been a production of Discipleship Ministries, an agency of the United Methodist Church. Visit all our podcasts at podcasts.umcdiscipleship.org.